You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is To Stir with Love, Tales from Prison with Rabbi Yitzchok Kalakowski. Hi, I'm Aprom Kipolevich, Rabbi Yitzchok. We're in a Simcha mood tonight. Um, we're approaching, of course, uh, Purim. We're approaching uh, a Zman that we can finally, perhaps, uh, even with the recognition of COVID around us, we can perhaps be besimcha. We can be mesameach ourselves and others around us, leading us into to, uh, a tkufa of yontif. Um, and I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking, especially from where you hail from now, from the Chesidah Shevelt, and even where I'm from, from the yeshiva world, and from also semi Chesidah Shevelt, obviously Purim, what goes along with Purim, is of course, uh, uh, is, 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 is not only simcha, but specifically drinking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, without getting into the, the, the evils of drink, and how we don't paskin like the Gemara, and that the Maisim of the Gemara Mochiach, that we don't paskin that way, and the Sheet of Rabbeinu Afrayim, and others, the Meiri, and other Rishonim, uh, the Metzius is, is that uh, drinking is part of Klal Yisrael's history. Um, it's, and it's something that goes on. It goes on in a major way. Um, a lot of drinking, and, uh, whether it's wine or harder stuff, Emerson, Mesibas, Purim, pre-Corona, you saw Hevra everywhere, people drunk and spilling their heart out, people drunk gushing over with Tyra, people drunk kissing each other, dancing, uh, maybe throwing up in some corner somewhere. But that's part of the, the incredible Aliyah Ruchni that many people think uh, Purim is supposed to be about. I'm, I'm, and I'm sure you've had those types of Purim yourself, correct? I, I, I mean, I remember the first time I was really at a really a Hamish Purim, and to see the Nafkamina between, you know, I, I I try to be open-minded and try to be tolerant and and uh, stay away from anything that's negative against uh, people who are not of our faith. But when you see the Nafkamina between when other people get drunk, and how I grew up seeing, you know, my father and his friends and and how they acted when they were drunk. And then to go to a, a Yiddish Sviva, I remember, I think, the, you know, I remember a Purim Suda by Moshe Weinberger in Woodmere before he built the shul and the Hever there and the, and the other Bachrim. I, I myself, I was younger. I didn't drink much. Maybe I had one cup of wine, something. But the, the other boys, some of them got pretty shicker, but they were all, like you said, saying Torah, giving brachas, it was it was totally the opposite of anything that I'd ever seen in my life. And then the same thing, you know, to go to Shalayim, to see that. And I, Although I remember one Magad Shir we had at, at, at Or Sameach, who's a Dayan in Beitar, and he's from England originally. And he said to us, he was selling all, it was after Purim, and he said, you know, you Bochum, I hear some of you, 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 you say negative things against the Hasidic Eden. He said, I was... At the end of Purim, I went over to Ritzvimeyer Zilberberg, and I saw they were all sitting in the dark, crying, and Ritzvimeyer was saying Musr to them, Alderach Hasidus. He said, what were you doing at the end of Purim? He's like, you, you're looking down the Hasidim. They were sitting, they were listening to Musr. That's what the Magadshir said to, to us. Oh, in the... Well, I, I think I'm going to have to, um, on that note, put in a pitch for the latest, uh, our latest podcast and our a new, our new uh, revamped platform, our mutual friend, Dr. Samuel Juni, speaks about, uh, from a physiological and psychological standpoint, what drinking does. And you can listen to that. That's a, 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 and what he talks about is the, what, that it leads in many people, it's a depressant alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not so strange that even after the Lebedekite and that surge wears off, that there should be some inward reflection and a Musr Shmuz can even be part of what, what happens at the end of, of a drinking bout. Uh, I don't know if that's the right term, but, uh, but, the, but alcohol does lead in some ways to people to cry and to think about to be Ms. Boynan and how their life, how they could be better people. 
So it could be, again, I don't know, like you say, it was by your father and his friends, but I think there is a way to guide the person who is drinking on Purim in positive ways. You definitely have to be careful, uh, especially, oh, especially where you live up in the mountains. You know, the stories of people that have unfortunately imgikim and people who have gotten into accidents, um, it's terrible, you know, you don't even want to think about it. But um, we know it is part of uh, uh, of this reality. I don't know if the you know how successful we're going to be in eliminating it. I have been I've worked for many schools Yitzchok and many institutions that have made you know have made it one of their cardinal principles is to stop drinking on Purim and should be eliminated and 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 people like Ramosha Weinberg and others should be scolded by letting anyone who's anywhere underage. Uh, to be given any drinks whatsoever, and you and, and I'm sure you've heard about the backlash as far as that goes. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and perhaps it's necessary. No, I mean the, the the people who I saw were were over the age. The people who were really shickered, but just uh-huh. to have to have one cup. I you know I remember the the other. I, I remember in Richmond we had the yeshiva there too, and and the rosh yeshiva. He said, "You have a shear, you know, you have a revius, and and you see, you know, like that was the." That was the so, shita that he had for the for the bachrim. But I, 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 you know, I was just talking to Ingerman, who uh, who was from that yeshiva, and I going through a certain takufa in his life, and I told him, I said, I'm giving you a, a total heter. You should not take one drink the whole Purim because of a certain matzah he has in his life. Um, and, uh, and and he said, No, of course, there's no there's no shaila. He's not. He's not. Uh, he's not. Yeah. Touching. Well, obviously, if there's a question, I mean, let's. We're, we both know enough about Jewish law to know that this inyan de rabbonon, if it is to drink, yeah. is obviously nitche. If there's health issues involved, and if yeah, someone is, either, if if someone yeah, wasn't the health issue, but even know, if, even if even if he's an addict or something like that, yeah. that this could that is health he, issues. That's he, something. He's not. He's, he's not an addict, but some someone accused him of being this, and that was uh-huh. the. Uh, I hear. One of the th- yeah yeah I mean I, I know that they're Chaitniks over there the ones who started the Richmond Yeshiva yeah and, yeah. and I know that they are they consider themselves the true Maimonideans um, even more than the Briskers <laughs> they believe that they they believe that they understand uh, the Rambam Shita perfectly and the Rambam does say in Hilchos uh, Hanukkah Megillah uh, the Rambam does say that you that you drink a little bit more. And that's how your Yotze, uh, you know, the, obviously the Kimadala Yoda. So if, although the Rambam seems to say that Achiyirdam Bishikrusai, from the Rambam mm-hmm. it's mashma that you have to actually um, fall asleep in your drunkenness. If you yeah. look in the Lashna Rambam. So it's mashma mm-hmm. that it at least has to do enough. In other words, just the three ounces of wine and then say, okay, I'm taking a nap. Uh, it, it, the, the drink has to be something that leads you into that sleep. So, also, Yosemite shows you have to be a lambdan. <laughs> if you're not a lambdan, you don't, you don't drink as much. But, uh... yeah, well, again, it's a, it was a period that everybody, as we know, in the Yemei Chazal, there wasn't water and Perrier and grapefruit juice and orange juice and V8 or whatever else you could drink. Wine was natural, and obviously everybody walked around uh, buzzed. Not and that, only that, it wasn't safe to drink plain water. So that's right, because you're worried about gilui, and that, that's the reason why a chacham couldn't pask in a in the afternoon, because the assumption was that he had drink, he had had a normal meal. A normal meal meant he, he, he drank wine, uh, either in the beginning of the meal or to wash everything down. Either way, he was not in a state where his judgment was 100% clear that he could pass Kanishad, he could still learn Torah, and he could still daven, but not enough to have the clarity uh, to pass Kanishad. So, look, we I think we're sort of on the same page here. I think we both, neither of us would want to preach uh, excess amount of drinking. And clearly, I think there's certain communities and certain where uh, you need to probably outlaw it completely uh, for fear of it being abused, uh, you really need to have great safeguards and a great relationship, which I think leads us to what needs, to, which, which we have said to be our real sort of topic of all our discussions, which is what goes on uh, behind the iron bars, the gates, the electric gates, or whatever it is that puts these uh, people that we speak about, the prisoners, 
Well, well it, 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 it gets them there too, you know. Uh, the drink is okay. So we talked about we talked about uh, last week. We talked about violation of gun laws and and not having licenses. Many of them get put into the prison because of behavior that they they committed while they were drunk. Correct. Absolutely, absolutely. Whether a lot of the abuse, a lot of the a lot of the you know uh, whether it's assaults or other forms of abuse take place quite often under the influence of alcohol. But then you also have, you know, especially if somebody, um, you know, drank, uh, if it, whether they had too many DWIs and they got to a certain level where they're, um, you know, which kind of, it, it always offended me when like there was, there was one Yid there in the prison. He's not there currently. Um, I think he's actually out of prison. A, a Russian Yid from, from Philadelphia area. He actually, he's, he mentioned that uh, he, for a while he was in our prison, then they transferred him to the same prison where Cosby where is, Cosby is yes, sitting yeah. in. He, he saw him there, but uh, he, um, he he had a, a high number of DWIs and it's, it's, a, it's a miracle that he didn't, he didn't kill anybody, you know, and, and that he himself was alive. It wasn't only alcohol, it was other drugs. And then meanwhile, uh, and he would go around and like, why do I have to be with these people who did this and that when, uh, when all I did was a DWI? And then we had another fellow who was um, – he was part of our Jewish community, African-American, but uh, he was more along the lines of a Hebrew-Israelite, uh, but a, a non-Christian Hebrew-Israelite kind of somewhere, a uh, certain type of community that he belonged to, a uh, very knowledgeable uh, fellow. Like, like, in, he, like in Chicago, Capers Finney. Uh, no, Capers Fune is more is more traditional. He's he's pretty much in line with I would say conservadox. I would say yeah. uh, this this fellow's a little bit, you know. He they use the um, they use the, uh, the the paleo Hebrew in their in their circles and things. But he was a very knowledgeable person, and he was really part of our Jewish community at Waymart. And he actually he's. He's out, you know. He already served his sentence, or he's out on on parole. But he he actually killed someone um, after like he was celebrating uh, his daughter's uh, got her her PhD or something, and they went out to to eat and they were celebrating. And uh, and on the way home, you know, after he had a few drinks, he drove himself home and and uh, he ran into someone who didn't didn't survive that night. So it's a uh, there are there are many. Never. Yeah. So it's, so it's we 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 know it it actually definitely has spawned terrible uh, repercussions, and many of them are in prison because of it. And uh, and probably uh, let's not talk about the ones who were um, alcoholics, but even everyone I guess who has been put into this prison and realizes the amount of time that they are stuck there, I would assume that the desire to have some sort of drink that could transport them away from the ugliness and barrenness around them some sort of some sort of booze um is probably a big yetzahar it's probably something that the prisoners are involved in right of trying to to whether it's drugs or some sort of way to be mavasim themselves right i'm sure that that's probably one of the jobs the ceos the ceos have right is to ensure that that doesn't happen is that right yeah, well, we we have to keep our eyes open for, and our noses open. You know, there was a, our, my supervisors are all big fans of Seinfeld, and they they said something this morning, like uh, quoting an episode, "Are you hard of smelling?" Uh, they're quoting something from Seinfeld, and you have to you have to keep your nose open, whether you smell something that you're not supposed to smell, or also another sign that an inmate could be making what they call hooch. Could be um, something like fruit flies. Could be a sign of in the winter. So why, why don't you explain that? In other words, in other words, from the cafeteria, they might be given some fresh fruit. Which what will they do in order to uh, turn that into? I'm, I'm, I'm not supposed to reveal that because who knows if someone's listening to this might up. All right, but, but somehow they have all the secrets. But they have their ways of doing these things. Ah. And, uh, so there's ways that they there's ways that they're able to take potatoes or fruit, and we'll leave the, to everybody's imagination that these are items that can rot maybe, and ferment. Yeah, and some 
some pieces of bread could have some some residue uh, yeast in it that could make a reaction. And so, so if you really want the hooch, there's ways that it can be constructed out of out of some everyday food items. In other words, yeah. Well, a, fa- a fascinating thing, and again, maybe I'm going a little too far, but I think this is common sense. What I'm saying is that in a prison where I'm not going to say specifically about one prison or another, but if some prisons the inmates are in cells, and some prisons the inmates are in open dorms and in a prison where you're in an open dorm it's much harder it's much more difficult to get get away with something like that but they still find ways to do it but the fascinating thing that i've heard about such prisons is that since corona began the problem has gotten much worse not because they're more depressed or anything necessarily or that that could be part of it but it's because they don't have the access to drugs that they usually we, you know, they tried to prevent from coming in and through the visitors, uh, wow, uh, through the visiting uh, visiting room, but it gets in there. And now that there's no visiting room, all visits are done over Zoom now. So the uh, they're turning to trying to make hooch. And one thing that they realized is that uh, instead of it being since they're in a place where it's an open dorm since they're in the open dorm they find other places to make it that are more uh, common areas as opposed to belong to any one individual so they can kind of get away with it and nobody okay is really- so well so let me let me explain the way i'm absorbing from what you're saying before corona there, again let, let's go with the given the given is is that just like it is in the outside world where people do get drunk periodically and they it's enjoyable in the prison where you have people who are anyway somewhat alcoholic in 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 some ways anyway and even the ones who weren't have a desire to to sort of like uh blunt what's going on of the reality so basically it's almost a given that they'll do what they can in order to get that high in order to get that buzz in order to get stone smashed tight whatever term you're going to use so before corona you're telling me the visitors who would come wouldn't just come and be lovey-dovey and say hello but they'd also sneak into them some sort of hashish or drug or something that they'd be able to hide in their clothing yeah, a very small pill, something like that would be... Uh, which they would be able to use to sort of like uh, go high on. But now that they're not, that Corona has stopped those visits, desperation is leading them to be inventive in the in, in creating hooch in many, many different ways. And I think what you're saying is, is that whereas if they would be doing it in their own cell, like from their toilet, they could be disciplined. What happening is they're doing the hooch in a public area where nobody knows exactly who's making it and who to blame. But meanwhile, everybody can still scoop up some uh, some of it and, and get drunk. I, 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 have I sort of encapsulated what it was that you were saying? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, having worked in different types of prisons, the prisons where they are in individual cells, they are more likely to get away with it and to try it. But in an open dorm prison, it's very rare for them to try it, except now, like you said, that desperation has, has changed the situation because they're not getting the uh, the various pills and things that, that would be snuck. And even though they have all kinds of drug detection devices, you know, we're, we're subject sometimes to uh, random drug searches, uh, I, uh, drug tests a dog might come and smell you and make sure uh they they have these different machines you put your your hand on it and they it can smell what's on your hands and and actually you know um within a, a minute it'll come up on the computer all the different drugs that that the, this person might have touched wow and, and, and is there a repercussions for that if they discover that this prisoner has been getting you know contraband snuck into him and he's been getting stoned and he's drunk is there what what happens they can add they can add time to his incarceration in in general they just they go to the hole you know they'll get they'll get punishment within the situation but if it's very serious more likely is if they can catch the the culprit who's bringing it in that's the person who's going to really be getting the the reaper they'll, they'll they can wind up in prison but we've had We've had it was was before I got there, and even when I was there, we had. Um, I guess it, I'm assuming it was a false positive. There was one 
Catholic priest who was coming very regularly, uh, was a contract chaplain, and he could not pass the test when they put the wand on him, and he was an older man. There was really no suspicion he was actually using it, and what the most of the people were saying was that it was probably the incense from the church that was making this false positive, but they have to be so careful. They he they uh, they ended his contract where he'd been serving for I don't know over ten years as uh, you know maybe once a week or one twice a month or once a month something like that visiting the prison, and he wasn't welcome anymore. And then we had another volunteer, also elderly gentleman, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, he uh, he did pass the second time, but. They thought maybe it was because he handled money at a at a gas station that might have had something on it. Who knows? But it 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 came up first positive, but then they tested again and it was negative. But these wow. types of things, we're that careful, and yet with all the technology, and with all the the work they put into trying to of drug interdiction, it doesn't help. They still the only thing that stopped it really was that nobody's coming in now, and so now the only way it could get in is if you have staff who are who are compromised and uh, oh, wow so sounds a lot of intrigue you know i i'm wondering you know when i hear this from you and i actually was uh, thinking about taking the conversation another direction but now that i'm hearing this from you why why aren't you guys meeting together and saying look there, there's a reason why this des this they're so desperate and, and if we're going to ultra criminalize something which is a constant part of their life it's one thing to stick a shiv into someone, which you say, there's no way that that destroys the community. That destroys the possibility of people living out their sentence and learning anything. If somebody can be subject to violence and, and be beaten and be stabbed. But if, if there's if, if clearly there's a reason why they, they, they need to get stoned or get drunk or, or get high, whatever term you want to use. Doesn't that show that there's something missing, that there's something that needs to be addressed? Of- and we do we do address it. We we have all kinds of AA groups, narcotics anonymous groups, both secular and religious, and we uh, we work hard to try to to try to help and and try to get out of this. And uh, I don't I don't know how rampant it is. You know, it, it, one is too many because it's a danger. We have we have both men and women who are who are uh, who work there, who are staff in the prison. We don't want to see. Uh, someone get drunk and and uh, and, and abuse a woman, um, you know, it, it's it's a very serious danger to the to the staff and to the other inmates. Um, so we do try to prevent it, but we we have programs. We have we have more people, um, I think, in the in the in the drug and alcohol treatment uh, parts of the prison than we do in the. In the chaplaincy department, we have a department that's totally do- dedicated to to this, not only, like you said, not only the interdiction on the security side, but on the treatment side. It's, it's a major part uh, in our prison. We have whole units that are dedicated to this. So, um, you, so you would say it's not, uh, let's say, let's take a number of thousand prisoners. I know there's, let's say, so you would say the percentage of that a thousand that 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 is motivated to to get the fix to get drunk, would you say it's not fifty percent or is it? No, not not as far as I know. Again, I'm not privy to all this information personally, but I see you know who who are in these programs, who are receiving these programs. They're mostly it's generally if someone had a problem before they got. To prison it's not it's not something that generally and it's uh that that they uh they're addressing you know directly I see. In, you know that they they learn that it's they not something, something it's, it's not that i i am I, I this is so terrible i need to turn to drink to be or some sort of drug otherwise i won't be able to stand being here that's not what's going on these are people who came in with the problem generally that's that's my that's my impression. Again, this is a, it's a prison where it's kind of difficult to, to get these things. And uh, I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong because okay. maybe I'm a little naive. You know, I don't, I yeah. don't know exactly what's going on. But I see, like, for example, before Corona, Tuesday night, there'd be uh, 
10 tables of Bible studies. And uh, one of the tables was, was the AA um, you know, supplement, meaning it was the, the, the spiritual part of the AA group was one of the tables. And you, know, you see how many guys show up for this Bible study, you know, maybe uh, 80 guys, and there's maybe five guys at that table. Uh, but those are the guys who recognize that they have a problem. You know, and also those are the, the ones who are showing up to Bible study are more spiritually motivated than uh, I see. than a lot of others. So let me switch topics here, but it's in a similar vein. I mean, it's sort of a, the same area. We know that we we started talking today about the, the central role that wine or or stimulants play in Purim. Um, is there any um, dispensations made? for religious Jews to ever have wine, to ever have intoxicants uh, in what you Absolutely know? Not. Absolutely not. So Please. in terms of the four, the Seder, let's say where we know the four cups of wine, the Seder is run with grape juice? Grape juice, 100%. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and so, and that's because they need, it has to be lay plug, right? They can't have any, uh, right? And, and if there's a poor meal, have you ever been, has there ever been a Purim suit in prison that you've been aware of that you were part of? Mm, all the years I went and laid the Megillah, we never had a Purim suda. That, you know, I would maybe hand the guys a piece of matzah or hand the guys a, a cup of grape juice uh, if we happen to have it in the chapel and they could, you know, and if they want to wash and uh, and eat the matzah, that, that's maybe the most we could get away with. But we, we you know, or, or I would kind of maybe tell them to, to pass around the uh, a box that has some grape juice and matzah in it, and then they're becoming shalchmanus by passing one to the other, uh-huh. by making a kenyan and passing it. This year, there's nothing like that. But the guys, you know, they can, they some of them still have a box of matzah left from from last year Pesach, and they can make kiddush Friday night <coughs> on the matzah, making hamaytzi, and then the Shabbos day if they if they're and havdalah they could use some kind of beverage, whatever they give them. Uh, orange I understand. I see. What about other religions? Is, is there any other religious? That, that's, the, that's the ironic thing. The The Jewish community, it's 100% grape juice, and that's most likely because they asked whichever rabbis who are in charge of that, and they said it's grape juice. You know, I remember in the federal prisons, they'd have little juice boxes of kosher grape juice that they'd <coughs> they would distribute and then they would always ask you know you have to bring give me back the empty box to prove that you actually drank it and you're not trying to hoard it and make hooch out of it um so that was always a a worry as far even though these the mavushal grape juice i don't think has any potential of becoming wine the way the way that it's made but as far as the um other religions so we've mentioned in the past the odinists they also do not get any permission that part of their religion is drinking mead, which was an old Jewish drink. Very, I was looking at some Purim Tur's uh, from a, 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 someone made a safer of Purim Tur's maybe a hundred years ago, and they and there was references both to yayin and to devash to to, uh, to the honey wine that the, what they call mead or med is uh, you see the Dachreinim mention it. The, the Ramah brings down even that the Dalad Kaisis and if it's the Hamar Medina could be from from mead and i i don't know why that's no longer a popular jewish drink we drink it in our house but uh you drink it up there you make it yourself in the backyard i well i'm trying to make some i've been buying it at the liquor store but it's a little expensive so i tried to make some in a in a a container but it's not doesn't taste quite the same as what we buy you might have to ask some of the people in the prison i bet you they know how to do it yeah i don't know i mean i i have friends in williamsburg who make their own but not uh that's a, that's a different type of prison. But. Yeah, but they they uh, the Odinist religion they uh, they pass around a drinking horn like a shayfer and they drink mead out of it. Uh-huh. So in in our in Pennsylvania they haven't yet gotten their their permission to have these. Uh, you know, if they're going to have a gathering, they really just sit there and and talk. You know, that's all they do. But in, I know in the federal prisons, I was told that they just mix some honey with water and it's non-alcoholic or they have apple juice also non-alcoholic for their service but the christians on the other hand somehow get away with having actual wine because i guess it's it's ma'akev in the 
whether it's there the hasn't academy. been a heter for grape juice yet, right? Like uh, even fact. though even, even though, though the story with Rabbi Tversky is a right. of Rafa, it That's seems right. to he, say that, that the, was a special dispensation the Pope gave yeah. the heter, yeah, yeah. So so the uh, my so, understanding is is that for example the Russian Orthodox we talked about them recently sure for their uh, for their um, communion they'll put the Yitzchak? Yitzchak? Yeah. Go ahead. Still there? Yes, put, I'm still here. You you went blank. For their yeah, communion, so what happened? They take a, a drop of wine and have it absorbed into the wafer, the host, and they can eat the wafer that has a, a little drop of wine on it. In the Catholic Church, there's no rec, uh, requirement to actually drink the wine. Um, so they have it there present, but they don't actually drink it. Uh, they just eat the wafer. And they, similarly, the Jehovah's Witnesses, who are famous for not celebrating any birthdays or holidays, they have one holiday that they celebrate, which is Memorial Night, which is usually the Lael Seder is when they have the Memorial Night. And at this Memorial Night dinner, they are supposed to have present a bottle of wine and unleavened bread but they don't actually eat it or drink it. So they have it there present. And so the way that the... Representing Jesus's body right, and, and right, blood. Right. Although although the Jehovah's Witnesses don't understand that literally the way that the Catholics and the, and the, the other... The Jehovah's Witnesses are anti, uh, anti-Trinitarian. They're, they 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 believe that Jesus is the... Uh, like uh, the Malach Mechol, uh, 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 not and that he's not God. That's a, a part of their uh, their their belief. But they believe he was a, a great man, and they look up to him. But they don't believe that he was God. And they, um, but that was the only the only holiday they have. So this past year and this year we had nothing like that. But in because of Corona. But in general, the volunteer for their church will bring in the wine and the and the bread and he'll bring it in and bring it out and so they see that it's it's been brought out and it's and not no, there. Right. nobody was able to sort of like switch the bottle with with uh with uh apple juice and right make off oh. with the hooch or make off with the wine yeah uh, right incredible how um the sort of carefulness and really shows you the power that i guess wine still has the power that wine has and they and the fear and the realization of what what now, what happens Listen, from the time of Noah Khan? It seems like it's still, the scourge is still with us. So, speaking of scourges and, and difficulties, you know, last week we talked about guns, and I said it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Almost every movie has a gun in it. Uh, every movie, you know, especially from the golden age of films that we always try to talk about, there seems to be somebody drunk in some of those films. Um what I mean, do you got? What, you, you have certain characters that you don't even have to speak about a specific film. Right. You know, you'll have W.C. Fields. That was his character. Though. That's Every, right. That's right. You know, he didn't, he didn't drink any water. You know, that was. That's you know, right. And, th- and then you had even a character I know you've come to love, uh, Nick Charles. Nick Charles is, 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 is I think he's, he's never becomes a teetotaler. Uh, he's drinking throughout all seven movies right he's all he's all about drinking right and uh, yeah. somehow he's still able to to solve the the, the the crime in the last reel um but what do you got for me that uh, you think like deals with the subject we've been talking about which is you know the the evil of drink the the importance of drink the carefulness of drink or uh you know the the morality play that we can learn from the lessons of over of, of, of coming drunk i've given you a bunch of choices here you, you don't well, if you, if you if you want if you want the morality play, well, then you always have not only alcohol, but you had all those very horrible exploitation movies from the '30s about marijuana and other <laughs> and other drugs that were just so silly. And I I've never tried marijuana, but I know other people who have. And the the, the reefer madness is, of course, the famous one where he's playing piano very crazy, and they jump out the window, and all kinds of crazy things happen. From this uh, devil sounds, weed. Sounds like they had a lot of fun making that one. <laughs> Reefer Madness. Yes, I've heard of it. Uh, yeah. I think it's and available, I'm sure, for free on YouTube if you look around. Yeah, right? it's, it's a public domain movie. and it's anything, weird, Okay. What else? Do you have anything uh, else? You know, uh, 
who was it uh, um, from, from the Honeymooners? He had a, um, Jackie Gleason had a character that that joined him, uh, Crazy Guggenheim, who actually Frank Fontaine, actor, Frankie Fontaine, Frank, Frank Fontaine never drank. He was he was a teetotaler himself, but he played. Hi Joe, hey Joe, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Hey you, Joe. <laughs> You know, so you had these funny characters, and you had all these uh... right, all all these lovable drunks. We mentioned Otis, of course, last week, right? Um, in Mayberry, um, and again, that was sort of society's sort of like blind eye to the ugliness of someone who was a drunk. You never saw Otis throwing up, right? Uh, no. Frankie Fontaine would break into song. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. You know, Crazy Guggenheim. You know, would, you know. It, uh, you know, Joe the bartender would uh, wipe the uh, the bar stool, and then the crazy Guggenheim would start singing like Gomer Pyle. You know, so yeah. and uh, then they had the radio show Duffy's Tavern was a uh, was a classic classic radio show. I don't know if they ever made it on TV. Duffy's Tavern. I don't even. Well, know again, look the, the 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 obviously you have a a program which don't tell me you've never heard of. Of course, it was one of the most popular and critically acclaimed television shows of all time. Cheers. Cheers was a favorite, sure. I always ba- which is basically set in a bar. I mean, you have people yeah. who sit there all day drinking, right? Including yeah. intellectuals like uh, Kelsey Grammer's uh, yeah, Fraser Crane. Fraser Crane is this this incredible intellectual who who sits in a bar all day and drinks. You know, um, well, Cliff Cliff Clavin was also kind of a self styled intellectual without. <laughs> yeah, I don't say yes. With, with, with his knowledge was extremely um, reminds me of you in some way. <laughs> like off the wall little off the wall little factoids yeah, i can see cliff has a, i see you have like a shtick of a kindred you're definitely not norm peterson that's for sure. no. <laughs> if any character there is more you i guess i think it would be cliff clavin i don't know yeah. which, i'm not sure which one i would be um yeah you have you have to give kudos to the coach character though the one who died of yeah. cancer he was to me the best of them all coach was the um yeah, I can never get into Woody Harrelson, uh, who took his place. I mean, you know, Woody Harrelson, a very, very smart man who plays yeah. who played a complete imbecile. Um, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, cheers. So we we definitely have a society that um, sort yeah. of understands how important drink is. It's, it's fascinating the history. You know, like we said in the Middle Ages, also it, you couldn't drink the water. But then I was, I once read. Um, ben Franklin's uh, autobiography, and people often quote Ben Franklin as saying, "Beer is a proof that God exists and He loves us." But it, there's no way Ben Franklin would have said that because he was a very big teetotaler. Ben Franklin, he absolutely he blamed so many people's misfortunes and misery on on, on just, drink. you know on drink. You know, they spend all their money. You know, they'd work all day and spend all their money at the bar, and he himself. You know, he he had other vices that he indulged in, but alcohol, he had an incredible aversion to it. And actually, the uh, fascinating thing was that he hated, uh, he, he you know, he was well known to be very open-minded and liberal, to be accepting of different uh, different religions. He, he wants, you know, he mentions in his autobiography that he would welcome the Grand Mufti of, of, of Constantinople to come give a lecture on Mohammedism at the University of Pennsylvania if the, if the opportunity arose, that meaning he could come and preach Islam. He was open-minded to different religions, but the, the Native American community, he had a particular aversion to because of their uh, alcohol problem, which to this day is a problem in those communities. Um, but apparently, you know, he, he, he said some pretty nasty things, actually, that were would be shocking, I would think, even in that time, but Certainly today, the way that he expressed himself about that, you know. Um... I think this uh, you're opening up a, an interesting can of worms here. I mean, we talk about the founding fathers and their vices. And, um, you know, uh, clearly there was a lot of, you're right. I, I would say it wasn't just like the callous racism um, that is attributed to Thomas Jefferson and others. I would say when you realize that you are plundering somebody's country, that you have to view them as a subspecies in order to justify the basic manifest destiny of basically taking over this country, 
right? Um, whatever you want to say about it, you realize that the settling of this United States is built on the idea that we have the right to conquer and to basically eliminate uh, the Native community. So I think in order to sort of um, to justify this, uh, this, this, this glorious version of, of the nation, you need to think about the indigenous people who were there as, you know, beyond salvation in some ways and really as sort of a subspecies. Uh, that's what I would say if, you know, again, I, I don't know the exact quotes you're talking about. Yeah, I, I could quote it, but I, I'd be nervous to do so. Because especially, really... We definitely don't want, uh, we never yeah. want cancel. We definitely don't want cancel. Look what happened to Dan Mc, this reporter for the New York Times is as liberal as they come in some ways and is now, you know, looking for a job somewhere. Um, uh, but let the, me the, the, let me respond with a couple of uh, if anybody is listening to some of uh, what I think it might be some films that he actually was invoking Hashkocha protests when he mentioned this in, in that quote that was the Adkadekach that was he said that it was it was some divine uh, providence that he... so I was right about that in other words yeah. a way to justify God's hands of course um, let me talk about we talk about movies and, and drinking like I said it's everywhere. But I would say, obviously, the first place to go is Ray Milan's Oscar turn in The Lost Weekend, uh, which I think is also a Billy Wilder film, as far as I remember. And has some uh, that really shows you I don't think it's been matched. What does it mean to be uh, to become a terrible drunk to the point that uh, it can, can destroy your life? And Ray Milan was a great actor, really uh, a, a great actor. Uh, I, I am so sad when I see Ray Milan in the '60s and in the early '70s. He's such a—he's a pale shadow of what he had been. Um, he, he was such a, a an elegant, t- great villain, you know, like in in um, in uh, M for Murder*, and and *The Lost Weekend*. Uh, he really does a fine job. Um, embodying uh what does it mean that the terror uh, and the horror of being a person uh caught up in drink uh the other one i saw uh recently which uh, i think is probably a favorite of yours as well is johnny eager um with uh, robert taylor and lana turner but the oscar that was given in that film was to an actor which we've talked about before van heflin was van heflin's first screen role and he won the Oscar for playing Robert Taylor's friend Jeff Hartnett, who is who is a uh, an intellectual, but a lost drunk. He's someone who is has to be like a toady or a best friend to a gambler, or gangster fellow, played by Robert Taylor. And the drink is what stops him in many ways from asserting himself, from being courageous, uh, from actually being an ultimate hero. And, and trying to write things, uh, his slave, the, the slave that he is to the drink, is really what, him, what what stops him, and it makes him this, you know, very tragic figure, which I think Hollywood was very happy with. Um, and you know, again, like like Ray Milland, it gave an Oscar uh, to him for playing this drunk who, you know, who is sort of somehow making ugly peace with this world that he inhabits, uh, but still is able to see clearly about what could be something better. Those are two films I think that uh, uh, I think are probably worth people's while uh, to see. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Van Heflin. That my favorite Van Heflin movie did have drunkenness in it. It's it's a, another. I, I, you're talking about the one with Rosie Greer, probably the with no. the where he no, that's, the, that's the Ray Milan. That's, oh, that's Ray, Ray Milan. Milan. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Ray Ray Milan yeah. and Rosie Greer with the two heads. Yeah, yeah. Which Van yeah. Heflin? <laughs> no, but Van Heflin played. Uh, Played Andrew Johnson in a movie called Tennessee Johnson. Oh, Tennessee Johnson, right? He, he actually looks script. like him a little bit. The actor is, yeah, a, yeah a, more than a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he so looks. He, a, it's a powerful movie, especially with uh, everything going on with the, the impeachment. Uh, impeachment. Sure, they have the first impeachment, but at at uh, Lincoln's inauguration, was Andrew Johnson was drunk. We know that, right? The, yeah. So that's the uh, yeah. and it, and it played up very much in the movie. Uh, Van Heflin plays a drunk there again as that as one of our presidents who, who couldn't yeah. keep his hands off of the bottle. Um, yeah, again, um, just a sort of like a Purim Suda, a type of drinking. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Danny Kaye's 
the inspector general. And um, oh, that's a great one. And you know, when the inspector, you know, obviously, you know, Danny, look, there's certain people in Hollywood who are, we would call Kolbynicks. They could do it all. You know, like Sammy Davis Jr. is, a, is an example. Um, Judy Garland is an example. We already talked about Sinatra. I don't think he was really, uh, he couldn't really do it all. But Danny Kaye was like that. Danny Kaye was an actor, a comedian, a singer. He could do drama. And he was a dancer. He was really, really incredible. And uh, I think what's really beautiful about him, although I heard he wasn't always um, um, uh, Nemon to his wife, his wife, Sylvia Fine, uh, was crucial in writing for him these incredible lyrics, you know, that he had to sing, these songs. And Danny was able, I don't know if he did it in one take, Danny was somehow able to master this 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 incredible things that would leave most of us tongue-tied uh, to the point of exhaustion. Danny was able to pull it off. And there's a, if you remember in the Inspector General, one of the great scenes where is the drinking song, right? Where he's meant to, uh, he's singing a gypsy, I sing a gypsy song. Sing, gypsy, dance, gypsy, right? And first we, right, we're going to drink. But of course, there's the, the 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 wine has been poisoned, right? Do you remember yeah, all the yeah, yeah. all the uh, the officials there, including, of course, Alan Hale Sr., <laughs> yeah. who, who keeps on getting his suit taken away and his uniform taken away. The skipper's father, um, he's there. Uh, they all want Danny poisoned, and if he if he'll drink from the mashka, he's going to die. But he's leading everybody into this wonderful niggin. He gets everybody dancing and singing, uh, doing all these voices. And I think that, um, you know, I think, I think he ends up uh, throwing the wine into the, uh, into the fireplace, I think, or something like that. He throws yeah. and everybody th- and it explodes. But if you really want to see, like, an, an idea of, of a simcha, of everybody uh, and a rebbe like getting on top of the tish and holding the cup of wine and 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 leading them the simcha you know do you remember when he gets he gets all the different groups that are are sitting there you say nu nu right you say mm, right do you remember each group he's able to give them a little job and then magnificently he leads them into this 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 incredible song I think that for me is sort of like a, a guns Purim Dick is by by one of our own. I don't know if he ever saw it when he was growing up. Uh, Purim Suda, but that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, so, yeah I, I was at his kever once in uh, in Valhalla in uh, Westchester, New York. It's actually a a park bench is what the uh, the Matseva looks like. And, and is, is is there and does it have his real name there? Or does it say Danny K? There's no name on it. It's just a park bench. Wow, there's a. I guess maybe he was a Chernobyler, you know, like in the in spare. There's no name on the Matseva either. I don't know. If, uh, but, but how did you know that uh, that buried underneath there is Danny Kay? Because it, it was. I think there's a little marker on the side, like one of those like plastic markers, like kind of separate that says, you know, like it points to. Because a lot of famous people are buried in that. We talked about that before. Soupy Sales is there, and. Uh-huh. Uh, how can you can't even mention those two in the same breath? How can you mention they're both Yidin, but how can you mention Soupy and Danny in the same breath? I'm saying Soupy Sales is like an insignificant worm compared to a Leviathan. I mean, Danny K, Danny K's talent is like you know it can fill up cups yeah. and like gallons and gallons. Where Soupy Sales, okay, was a one-trick pony. You know what I'm saying? You know, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you see, you know, uh, a nebbish, you know, uh, yeah. a, a lovable nebbish, you know. Yeah. Danny K, even in the, you know, in the Inspector General, if you remember, the, when he's thinking about uh, what he should do, he splits himself into three different parts. He's like the Russian, the grubber Russian, right, and the and the Austrian intellectual, and and right, and the British fop, right? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're all singing to each other again. Danny, you know, it's a shod, really, that Danny. Um, I know he played the, the, the two Jewish films that he did. We talked, I think we might have talked about Skokie once, the made-for-TV movie that he made. I'm sure you've seen that, right? Mm, no, I didn't, no. 
you know, Danny Kaye and called Skokie, which was a, mm-hmm. a drama about when the Nazis wanted to march. Nazis marched on Skokie. Yeah. So he plays a Holocaust survivor who, uh, you know, who is who, who is speaks up against them. I think he get he got an Emmy award or an Emmy for that. It was one of his last roles. But right. he also played the Colonel in Me, where he and another Jew, Kurt Jurgens. You know, Kurt Jurgens is, of course, the um, right. Uh, no, yeah, Kurt yeah. Jurgens is not a Jew. I'm sorry. Yeah. But Kurt Jurgens, who was a was an Austrian, Kurt Jurgens plays this uh, this uh, this anti-Semitic colonel who mm-hmm. is who escapes. Uh, uh, they escape Nazi Germany together with Danny Kaye, who, who's this Jew in the back seat. I've never seen the film, but it's been quoted in many of the books that I've that I that I mm-hmm. have. Uh, where right, but generally he did not play an obviously Jewish character. You know, unlike you know other actors like Sam Levine and. Uh, uh, and, and Joseph Weissman, uh, who were always obviously uh, cast as Jews. Yeah, but it was uh, the, the characters he played though were were Jewish archetypes without being Jewish. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, they were they were they were you know generally uh, either sometimes the the characters they played were were the Eastern European characters, whether the Russian or the. You know, this and that. And I, then, I think the first Danny Kaye film I saw was Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah. You can't get any less Jewish than that. And, yeah, and then he, yeah. of course, he, of course, with, you know, of course, he made the film with Bing Crosby, uh, which was a, a remake. Yeah. It was, a, it was White Christmas, which, of course, a remake of, 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 of Holiday Inn. Um, but but White Christmas was written written by Ian. all right yeah but of course but his character the character that Danny Kaye plays is uh, is in no way shape or form a Jew yeah, I think Jack I the guy Jack Warden played more Jews than Danny yeah. Kaye did you know so yeah. Walter, sh- Mitty, Walter Mitty was maybe a kind of a nevish Jewish type of archetype if he wasn't Jewish you know definitely definitely Walter Mitty's wife was a type yeah. of was a type of typical Jewish woman who was so demanding she and Danny should have a Lichtegarneden along with Aliyidin who I'm sure well, that's about it, my friends. Let's hope you have a Lebedik of Freilich a week. Hopefully, uh, you don't need to uh, imbibe. Hopefully, you're going to get your high out of Teira Shalonu. Take care, Yitzchak. Thanks a lot again. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 